If you're looking at the average age that's going on to TikTok, et cetera, to be a creator, I mean, they're engaging with these platforms younger and younger. And so while our survey really focused on 18 and above, I don't think we can discount the generation even, like the age group even below them, of understanding that they're walking in with so much mental pressure on themselves already, wanting to look like they're, even if it's to look at their Roblox avatar, like there's so much pressure already that how do we make these moments feel really good? You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Retail Remix. I have on the line with me today, Melissa Gonzalez, principal of MG2, founder of the Lion S Group, and host of her very own podcast. Melissa, thanks for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to chat with me. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, So we talked about doing this podcast because your team has done some very exciting research around the Gen Z consumer. Everybody's talking about them. Everybody wants to understand them. And what I found to be very meaningful and substantial about this research is that it technically comes in like two parts, right? Like there's the quantitative side It's more than 1,000 Gen Z consumers. But then there's also a qualitative side as well, where you got to speak one-on-one with Gen Z consumers, members of the Z-suite, which folks who don't know, it's a network of Gen Z thought leaders, entrepreneurs. They really have some interesting perspectives on what's happening in retail. So I guess the first big question, I always like to get into like the how and the why of it all. So Why was it important to kind of get both sides of this research done, both the volume of responses to get the numbers, but also the insights to guide this research? Absolutely. I mean, I think that historically, there's just one blanket statement about Gen Z, and there's a lot of generalizations around their behaviors and what does that mean for their needs and wants. And we wanted to make sure that we took a deeper dive, understanding that it's actually a complex group. Some of it is due to the spectrum they are in the age range. So you have that older Gen Z that's more the zillennial, and then you have the younger Gen Z who's like right above the alpha generation, and then nuances in between. So with the quantitative data, you wouldn't get all of those insights because you wouldn't have all the context. So we actually started with our own Gen Z panel we created internally at MG2. It was about 20, 22 individuals. And we first started with them and really diving into from a design standpoint as designers and architects, and then also consumers. What do you want to investigate more? What are your needs and motivations as a consumer? And then as a designer and architect, what kind of challenges come up? What kind of things are we solving for? So we kind of started that way. Then we went to the Gen Z Z Z-suite group to go even deeper, saying they're kind of on the pulse of the industry as thought leaders. So their perspective as well was like another layer. And that also informed, okay, where do we want to dig in deeper? And then that's where we took the quantitative analysis with just about 1,100 respondents. So so it was multifaceted. And we really see this as going beyond just a survey and really digging deeper into the psychology of the generation. And with that, you really need the qualitative and the quantitative. Yeah, absolutely. I think getting into the psychology of it all is really fascinating. It's part of the reason why I love studying retail and commerce so much because it's all interconnected. So you mentioned that 
there are a lot of assumptions about Gen Z and, and in some cases, misunderstandings. I know I personally have my own. Was that one of like the big objectives or goals for this research to kind of get into the heart of those points or those stereotypes around Gen Z? Like what really was the heart of what you were trying to accomplish when you came into the process? I mean, really, at the end of the day, we are a design architecture firm. So for us, we wanted to walk away with insights to say, how do we really create great experiences? And if you blanket it, you really are falling short of that. I think a lot of the times it's easy to take overarching kind of narratives and then just apply it broadly. And so, for example, one of the personas, because the report goes into the four personas, one was happily detached. I think there's no question that this is a digital native group, maybe not even as much so as alpha, but for the most part, they've been born on digital. But that doesn't mean they want to live and breathe social media as a holistic generation. But it does mean that they have high expectations when it comes to how they intersect with technology and the in-store experience because they're so adept with it as it is, right? So it's kind of understanding things like that, right? We can't just say like, oh, we're a Gen Z brand, so everything we do is going to be over TikTok. It's it's going further and saying, well, do they use that platform? And how do they use that platform? And how does that platform maybe differ for how they engage with Instagram? And then what does all of this mean for how it comes into the in-store experience? And so it's really taking as deep a dive as possible into that. Yeah, it's really interesting when we get into the nuance of it all. So I think your point saying that they grew up with technology, but there are certain instances where, you know, like any other demographic or any other generation, too much technology almost becomes a burden. I know it has been interesting for me to kind of understand or see those nuances come to light, especially through retail. But I do want to ask, again, since we're talking about assumptions here and we'll, we'll get into the data that kind of sheds new light on this consumer. Were there any assumptions kind of going into this process that you and your team were hoping to validate or maybe understand more? Again, looking at this through the lens as a firm that helps shape these experiences. Yeah, I think tech is a big theme because there's a lot of, again, assumptions that if we're going to have any generation that kind of wants technology integrated into the store experience, it's Gen Z, but there's a hierarchy of needs within that and understanding, does it provide greatest value on an operational standpoint? Is it because they're craving experiential layers? What does that mean for its ability to foster community? Because a lot of them do go to some of these social platforms like a TikTok for that sense of community. And they're craving that in real life because they're so digitally connected, they don't have as many of those experiences, right? They're growing up in like either a fully remote workplace or digital hybrid. And so it's like, okay, if we work with our clients to ideate a great store experience and we're going to recommend things like augmented reality, well, what's the use case? You know, do they want it for like virtual try-on in store or do they want it for these immersive layers of play and gamification and where's the opportunity for the higher value? So so that's kind of like digging into deeper of those nuances. It's not too dissimilar when we worked with Nordstrom years ago with Nordstrom Local and there was macro validation that flexible fulfillment was something that the consumer had an appetite for, but it didn't really answer, well, how do we make that the most successful brand experience possible? So unless we know what they want out of that experience, then we're not really well equipped to design for it successfully. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into these personas. There are four total, right? There is the ethical advocate, the resilient achiever, 
the new perfects, and then happily detached, which you kind of made mention of. So maybe we just kind of go through a quick synopsis of each and then I assume we'll want to get into were they relatively similar, where they're distinct, and then we can get into some of the takeaways for the folks that are watching this right now. So can you give us a quick little snapshot of each of the personas? Yeah. So on the Happily Detached, it's those that are technically savvy and they grew up on the platforms, but they also don't want to live and breathe on social media. And when it comes to intersecting with technology and store, they have pretty high expectations. So we need to understand how to deliver upon that. When you go to the new perfect, they're radically transparent. Like it's radically transparent acceptance of body types. And like what, when we say the new perfect, it's like, what is beautiful? Isn't like just this cookie cutter thing. It's this radical acceptance of different shapes and shades of beauty. And then with the ethical advocate, it's those that really want that transparency and authenticity and aligning themselves with brands that make a difference. So you would see like Patagonia as a top choice there. And then the fourth one, I'm blanking right now. The fourth one is called Resilient Achiever. Resilient Achiever. Sorry. Yeah. And so those That's are my like, persona. That's why yes. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> the Resilient Achiever, you know, they really, they really want to be at the forefront of innovation. And what does that mean, mm. you know? And how are they aligning with brands that are enabling them to be there? And so Nike was like a top brand in that aspect. And so, and then there's plenty of people that are hybrids. You know, we did a Gen Z panel at the Retail Influencer CEO Forum, and there were a number of people that really closely aligned to one persona. And then there were a handful that were kind of a hybrid of new, perfect, and resilient achiever, or new, perfect, and happily detached. And so, again, that's why the qualitative is so important, because there's nuances in that, because there's going to be different situations where they're going to kind of over-index in one versus the other. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that there's sometimes a blending there, because when I first went through the research, I was like, okay, like these are pretty distinct. There are certain cases like the resilient achiever almost feels like the antithesis of the new perfect, right? Because there's like that need to achieve, but then there's like acceptance of who you are. But I, the more I thought about it and the more I looked at the data, I was like, oh no, I kind of understand how some of these can kind of fold fold into each other. Before we get into the topics within the research, you mentioned Nike as a brand associated with Resilient Achiever. Can you kind of expand upon that component of the research so people understand like sure. the association between personas and brands? Yeah, we asked a number of questions kind of in the beginning. We had through our own macro research kind of created personas with definitions. So it helps the respondent really upfront kind of decide who they thought they affiliated with the most based on those descriptions and those nuances. But then we asked subsequent questions after that, that then gave additional context, like based on the persona they were, what were the traits? What were we seeing? What were the patterns? Um, and so one of those were, what are your favorite brands? Where do you shop? And so for that persona, that was the top choice. Whereas with the new perfect, Aritzia was one, which was interesting. So sometimes it was really intuitive answers, like with the ethical advocate being Albert, Patagonia, yeah. like that's pretty intuitive. And with the Achiever, it being Nike, super intuitive. And then there were some others that came up with Happily Detached, like a Forever 21. We were just like, oh, this is interesting because yeah, I think a lot of the discovery there comes through socials. But but then, you know, you dig in a little deeper and think why. And I think with that example, for example, like Forever 21 is doing a lot of new things and taking new approaches and how they're and how they're collaborating in unexpected ways and kind of being able to connect with their target consumer in ways you wouldn't expect. And so as you dig in deeper, you're like, okay, I could see how that's making sense. 
Merchants are evolving their omni-channel playbook to include marketplaces, retail media networks, and more. So what's the goal? For 41% of respondents, it's to react more quickly to business and market changes. Retail Touchpoint's latest omni-channel and fulfillment benchmark survey outlines all of the ways brands and retailers are creating a seamless customer experience and the new channels they are embracing to diversify revenue and optimize their reach. Click the link in the show notes to download your copy of the survey sponsored by our friends at DePosco. Yeah. And Forever 21 also has been doing a lot of really interesting things with community activations, like being at like music festivals and concerts, like, and that's kind of an extension of those collaborations. So I I can definitely understand that, especially because Gen Z, I feel like it is looking at brand engagement and even commerce in general as an extension of who they are. And a part of that is like the community they belong to, like the culture they like to be a part of. So Forever 21 has done a really nice job, I think, of kind of embedding themselves really thoughtfully into those conversations and in those environments. But let's get into some of the key themes. Let's start with technology because we have kind of brought it up a few times, like around the nuances of technology, how it can be used in a way that truly resonates. We've kind of talked about how there is that assumption that Gen Z is all technology all the time. Is there anything else as far as, you know, what consumers said around technology usage? And most importantly, were there any notable brand examples that kind of came up? Because I think a big thing that our audience wants to know is like, okay, how do I do this whole thing right and in a meaningful way? Well, there were some nuances in that. So for example, with the Resilient Achiever, like operational technology was a priority for them because they want that efficiency, right? Kind of having that innovative mindset. So with them, it's having those frictionless moments where they can buy online, pick up in store, they could seamlessly do a return like that was really important to them when they thought about like the highest value for technology integration. So understanding that where there were other personas where it was really more about the experiential. And then we dug in deeper to with augmented reality, what did they want out of that? Like, was it, and I was surprised to be honest that fit and was kind of a top one when it came to augmented reality versus say gamification, which I think is an assumption that we would normally make for this generation. Like they want more of the gamification side of augmented reality. And when, when, when seeing different styles and fit, and I think also just kind of understanding that they are capable and open to those digital experiences where they might be standing physically in your store, but they're open to those digital layers being part of the experience where they might try on something and then be able to virtually see how it's in different colors and understanding fit opens up the possibilities as you think through store programming and what happens in the fitting room and how it could be a successful experience for them. So it wasn't necessarily a surprise that they had an appetite for augmented reality, but it was the digging deeper of like the use case, the function that they thought had the highest value was a little bit different than we thought they would say. Yeah, that is really interesting. And I think in general, fit tech is just like a very interesting category because it kind of can be implemented in so many different ways, like ways to like get the right size, get a feel for, you know, how a product falls on you before actually going into the dressing room or picking out that final product. So that is really interesting. Another big topic was the role of wellness, which a big takeaway, I think, from the CEO forum that that you mentioned earlier was that it is very much both a physical and mental and emotional thing. And, you know, 
it's been interesting to hear the conversations surrounding wellness among Gen Z executives and consumers, like how they're prioritizing it, how they're thinking about it. But I'm curious, like how do they expect wellness to kind of show up in stores? And I know going into the research, there were some interesting applications, I guess, or takeaways of like how those dots are connected for Gen Z specifically. Well, the fitting room was a big aspect of it. When, and that was tied to mental wellness. I was going to say, I feel yeah. that. <laughs> especially for the female respondent. I mean, it was for male and female, but definitely for the female respondent. And, you know, a lot of the times when we dig into wellness and retail, there's a gravitation to biophilia and working that and woods and textures and kind of bringing the outdoors in. And so we expected those to be the top respondents, but the affiliation with mental wellness. And I think it makes a lot of sense intuitively when you think about a generation that is so much on social media and there's so many conflicting, like we are going to have radical acceptance, but at the same time, they have enormous pressures right, of influencers and celebrities and how they look showing up in their feeds all the time. And that should be their aspiration. And while we talk about inclusivity, there's still a lot of pressure around how you look. And so when you are in that intimate moment of trying on something, one of the things that was called out was in like the Aritzia store experience, the fitting rooms, the mirrors for the fitting rooms are in more of the common area. And there's some that that took the survey that said they actually avoid that store experience because of that pressure. They want to have spacious rooms where they can kind of be there. Maybe they're there with a friend and it's an intimate moment about like trying on the outfits and feeling good about that in their own space versus feeling like they're put on a spotlight in order to make that decision. And so, you know, it's like being mindful in that way. It's interesting. I was just on the West Coast and I popped into the new Good American store and they have spacious fitting rooms and just brief conversations with the store's manager. And it's like, sometimes people are spending an hour in that store dressing room, right? And because it's an intimate uplifting experience, right? Where you're going in and you potentially could feel really great about yourself. And so I think it's those kinds of things is understanding that with especially the Gen Z demographic, there's so much pressure that they're under all the time. And if you're looking at the average age that's going on to TikTok, et cetera, to be a creator, I mean, they're engaging with these platforms younger and younger. And so while our survey really focused on 18 and above, I don't think we can discount the generation even, like the age group even below them of understanding that they're walking in with so much mental pressure on themselves already wanting to look like they're, even if it's to look at their Roblox avatar, like there's so much pressure already that how do we make these moments feel really good, you know? And I think that having thoughtful, spacious fitting rooms that feel in service to her or him with private mirrors is a key element of that experience. Right. And even little touches like being able to control the lighting. I know the Good American store, like they have in fitting room technology. So they, if they do need another size, like they can request it like through the device relatively easily. So like if they are in like that moment of vulnerability, like let's be real, like that's what it is, right? Especially if something doesn't look the way you want it to, or it's the wrong size, like it kind of gives them that level of control. So it's like, no, we're like, like you said, like we're in service of you, like for you, like it shouldn't be the other way around and you shouldn't be in an uncomfortable situation because I think the reality is like 
this consumer has all this pressure, like we all do <laughs> through these digital channels and platforms, but also there are so many options. So like at the end of the day, if a brand can't provide what is like really deeply important to them, like they're just going to go elsewhere, truly. But I think that this notion of wellness in particular really, I think, connects to this idea of brand values because like Good American, like their brand values is all about creating this environment where people feel good about themselves and they can express themselves how they want. Airy is another brand. I think they came up during the forum as well. Like one of the members of the Z Suite said, when I look at their marketing, like I see me. And I think that's a very important thing that Airy like really rose to the top for that focus. But there are other components too, right? Of brand values and like how values can kind of show up, right? Like I think there are a few takeaways from the Gen Z perspective of like how values can show up in the in-store experience. I think is sustainability a part of that as well? Like what else kind of came up in that discussion? Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting when you bring up sustainability and Gen Z, and there was definitely a number of comments around, even at the dinner before the forum, not not just the survey where we believe in it, but we don't always stand mm-hmm. behind it. And that I don't think that's totally on the onus of the generation. I think that unfortunately, like the system <laughs> of retail hasn't gotten to a point where it's impacting costs enough, right? At the end of the day, this is still a young generation that's just coming into their career, still living off of their parents. And so they're still going to be motivated by cost, even if they want to make the t- sustainable decision. And so But the ones that do prioritize it regardless, they want brands to go further than just saying, I'm a sustainable brand. They want to understand the process, transparency around like, how is it produced? What is the impact that production's having? Like, are you using less emissions or less water? Or how can I give something a second life? And I think it's the ability to go a step further, not just saying we as a brand do it, but being able to communicate to the consumer, here's how we're also empowering you to live it. And that's when you really get a different level of buy-in because now it's like I'm invested together with this brand to be a change maker. um, And that's a deeper emotional connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I, I feel like, you know, with all the discussions surrounding things like sustainability, even re-commerce, we're starting to see little examples of like how that shows up in stores. Like it started very siloed, like certain like recycling areas or, and like that's largely like attached to like the point of sale, but it's been interesting to see how it extends into like design elements, into product tagging and like in-store content. So that's definitely something that we've been watching, especially as demand on the consumer side starts to evolve and they start to kind of make their voice, you know, a little more vocal around their expectations. The final area that came up that I want to talk to you about is this idea of the in-store experience kind of becoming a point of activation, immersion, and even community connection, which I think is the most exciting trend that has really evolved nicely over the past year and probably will continue to do so over the next. I'm curious if this is something that Gen Z is really thinking about because we have seen so many brands do special pop-ups, community-focused stores. Like, Is this a priority for them? And if so, how should brands and retailers be thinking about these 
alternative experiences and formats to kind of support their goals to reach these consumers effectively. Yeah, I think when you go back to the psychology of it and kind of connect it all together, right, and you think of the generation who, again, digitally savvy, grew up on all these platforms, even if they want to break from it sometimes, but what it conditions is always knowing they can discover something new, the sense of like, I need to have it now. Everything's kind of also micro bite-sized information. And so like knowing that they're kind of gotten rewired to take in information and content experiences that way, then how do we mirror that in physical activations? And so, you know, when you create things that are a bit more unexpected, that are like have a little bit of a sense of urgency, that have something that is limited edition, you can't see it somewhere else, or collaborations. They love discovering things, especially the happily detached, uh, through unexpected collabs. Like one of the examples one of our C-suite influencers gave James was that the way he discovered Highs Nobiety was because they collaborated with this cool cafe in Paris you know and so it's thinking that way like from from a way in which they engage in their everyday life like how do we translate that to thinking through what could be a successful physical retail experience and so alternative events has that sense of discovery has that sense of now shop and shops have that you know unexpected collaboration where you know a lot of them did tend to answer that they do primarily shop in big box environments, right? Which was unexpected to us as well. But if you have the opportunity to bridge those together, where it's a specialty brand that they've followed on socials and you know has this great community, and now it's like showing up in one of the big box retailers that they frequent, then it has that sense of surprise and delight. So I think it's really understanding how you deliver upon that. And then, you know, with the examples like we gave, like with the Forever 21, who for Fashion Week did a collaboration with Barney's, like, super unexpected or right before fashion week, I'm just thinking like Gen Z brands, PacSun did a collab with the Met, you know, it's like, it's like, how are these brands thinking a little outside the box? So it has this like little surprise and delight element to it and this cultural tie to it that you don't expect where this generation can connect in a new way. And collabs are such an interesting category because it's like equal parts brand strategy, but also product strategy, growth strategy. And I think the most effective ones, like you said, it's like there are these really, really thoughtful synergies in place and it revolves around value for the customer, but they are unexpected, right? So we did a whole deep dive on that, but how it shows up through a physical environment or an activation or, you know, just even product display, right? So it can really shine through. I think that's really where the creative work comes into play and that that creates opportunity for folks to think outside the box a little bit. But for sure, we shared a lot of takeaways and insights, but I think the the real goal is to kind of distill like a few key things, like a few key takeaways maybe for all of the folks that are consuming all this information, kind of mulling it over and figuring out, you know, how do we apply this in a meaningful way? Are there any final points or takeaways that you would share with them? For sure. I would say one thing that's unanimous with the generation is authenticity. And I think because they have are flooded with information all the time, like their BS meter is pretty high. So, mm-hmm. and they have been a generation that kind of 
has leaned into the cancel culture a little bit. So, so I would say, regardless of the path you take, like if you're what persona you think you're kind of trying to design for, create a store program, or what's the right format, always make sure you're doing that due diligence because authenticity is a key element to how well or not it will be received by this generation. I think that's really the underlying factor or point I think everyone needs to take note of and apply. I think all of the topics we discussed are, are just the additive components as you start to build out your plan. But Melissa, thank you so much for taking the time out, digging into this with me. I feel like there are so many other things that we could get into, but this gives folks a good baseline to at least start with. And we'll be sure to link to the research as well, but always appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And to all of you, again, we'll be sure to link to the research as well as a few supporting articles and resources because there are so many exciting new trends and new approaches to in-store design and experience strategy. And uh, this research, I think, will provide you some fantastic insight and inspiration to guide the way. Again, always appreciate the time that you all take out to consume our content. If you want to hear more conversations like this one, be sure to subscribe to the show. We have new episodes coming to you weekly, and we are on all key podcast providers, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else. But for now, that is it from us, everyone. We will see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.